Today we are returning to the theme of why Jesus came that we began last week. <clears throat> Even the secular culture that we live in at least recognizes that there is something special about this time of year. They talk of peace and love and happiness and generosity. These are themes that kind of seem to be all uh, magnified a little bit around this time of year, and, and somebody might kind of ball them all together and, and term all those things as the Christmas spirit, right? And yes, even in all that, even in a secularized culture like ours, there's even somewhat of a nod to the baby in the manger, right? But what most of the world remains blind to is the fact that this baby in the manger is no ordinary baby. This is the enfleshed God. He's Emmanuel, God with us, God incarnate. And he's come to bring us much more than some vague sense of Christmas spirit, right? And so we're just asking the question today again, what in the world was God doing in this enfleshment, this incarnation? Why would he do such a thing? For what purpose would he send his son, the second person of the Trinity, to earth to become a man? And as it turns out, the Bible gives us multiple um, coinciding purposes and reasons for why Jesus came. The one we focused on last week was the fact that Jesus brought us peace. When we were God's enemies, he brought us peace. Jesus came to make reconciliation between us and God. And he did that, we talked about all this last week, by removing the barrier between a holy God and sinful man. That barrier was sin itself. So that now, all those who will ever come to Jesus just with the empty hands of faith saying, I have nothing of my own merit. I need your merit. All those repenting sinners have their sins wiped clean by God himself. And they're totally forgiven through the blood of Christ. And their relationship, which was one at enmity, or one of enmity, is now restored to one of peace. That is what the Prince of Peace did, as Isaiah refers to him. Today I want to encourage you in this way, by telling you about something else that Jesus has given us in his coming. It's there on the screen. Jesus has come to bring us joy. Joy. We're all pursuing joy in some way or another. 
there are, you could probably think of many things that you do throughout your day. And you do them for the simple reason that you enjoy doing them, right? God has actually created us to experience joy. And here's what Jesus has done. He has brought in himself and through what he's done the joy from which all other joys spring, the joy that makes all other joys enjoyable, if you want to say it that way. That's what he's done, this overriding joy. Now, when we talked about um, peace last week, about Jesus bringing peace, we kind of had to set this backdrop, this dark backdrop first so that we can appreciate this peace. And the, the backdrop there, of course, was um, what we just said a while ago, the fact that we were God's enemies, that we had a relationship with God, but it was not one of peace. It was one of hostility. And just recognizing that dark velvet backdrop of how we were enemies of God, that helps us appreciate much more the gift of peace with God. The same thing is true when we talk about joy today. We need to frame this against another backdrop. The dark backdrop that, uh, that I'm talking about this time is guilt. Guilt. I'm not talking about feelings of guilt necessarily. I'm talking about more than a mere feeling of guilt. I'm talking about actual guilt. We are all objectively guilty before God, whether or not we feel it, right? Every one of us has fallen short of the glory of God, Romans 3.23, and we've all broken His law in multiple ways, and so we're all guilty before Him. And guilt is a powerful depressant, isn't it? When we know we're guilty, in other words, it does a number on us. We're like the, uh, the criminal who has committed some horrible crime but hasn't been served justice yet, but he knows it's coming. Our consciences, they're not clean before God by default, in our sinful state. And we know we can't dig our way out of this one. And the thought, really, of what's coming in the moments after we die leaves us in a kind of dark haze that puts a damper on anything else we might enjoy. But the good news of the Incarnation is that Jesus has done everything necessary to give us real and lasting joy. A joy that just flavors all the other areas of life. So, what I'd like to do is take us to a very familiar verse in the Gospel of Luke. You may already be there since that was on the screen. Are you there already? Luke chapter 2, okay? Luke 2 is what we might call the Christmas story. 
My dad and mom read this to our family many a Christmas morning, and Jessica and I have tried to do the same for our family. We try to read Luke 2 every Christmas. But in Luke 2, verses 8 to 21, we read about some shepherds who are out in the field one night. They're watching over their flocks, and they got to experience something incredible. An angel from heaven appeared to them, a a messenger from God himself. The scripture says, the glory of the Lord shone round about them. I don't know what that was like, but Luke says it terrified these shepherds. It's not just like shining a spotlight down. That wouldn't scare someone. This is the glory of the holy God shining on them. It says they were filled with great fear, verse 9. But notice the message that the angel brought from God. Follow along with me, uh, verse 10. And we'll just read two verses, actually. Luke 2, 10, and 11. It's the word of the living and true God. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. Amen. Right after this, they see this entire They see an entire host of angels, like an angel army, essentially. And this angel army is praising God. Imagine that. An angel army chorus singing, praising God with all of the gusto within unfallen creatures who have witnessed the majesty and glory and the praiseworthiness of Jesus, they're there praising God. What a sound that must have been. But let's just double-click on the phrase, great joy, for a second. And just kind of in Puritan fashion, let's just chew on that one little phrase today. Great joy. Their message was, that angel's message was, we bring good news of great joy to you. And here's the good news that's going to bring them great joy. Their Savior had arrived. We get so used to words like this, Savior, that we don't even realize what they actually mean. Let's remind ourselves, a Savior is a rescuer a liberator, a deliverer. So the angel's saying, someone is here today to liberate you, to deliver you, to unburden you. And so um, with the cries of this infant in Bethlehem, joy itself in the purest and most meaningful sense had arrived to mankind. 
Now, I have to say, um, in this talk today of when we're talking about joy, I don't want anybody to misconstrue what we're saying. When we say throughout this message that Jesus has brought us joy, that does not mean that in this life, he's going to take away all our sorrows and, and make it to where we won't have to experience any hurt or pain or heartache. That's not what we're talking about. The kind of joy that Jesus has brought to us is the kind that transcends all of those things. It's not some kind of shallow uh, frivolity, we might say. This is not the kind of joy that means when a tragedy comes, we just plaster on a forced smile and act like we're joyful. It's not what it means. Nor is it the kind of joy that makes us impervious to pain or heartbreak as if we just don't feel those things anymore. No. A Christian as one who's been forgiven by Jesus Christ, a person who's had their guilt removed, is joyful in this sense. He can face down a sinful, fallen world, face it head on with all of its brokenness, with all of its sorrow, and face it with honesty, and face it with realism, and feel every bit of hurt in it. And then, at the end of the day, still sing the doxology. Praise God from whom all blessings flow. That's the kind of joy that Jesus brought to us. And that has been the song of the redeemed throughout all of history. God has taken away my sin and my guilt, transferred it to Jesus, we looked at that this morning in our prayer meeting, 2 Corinthians 5.21. Transferred all my sin and guilt to the sinless Jesus. As it was on Jesus, God punished it with the full weight of his justice, allowed me to go free, clothed me with his righteousness that's now been imputed to me, and now I have joy. And without that overriding source of joy, as I said earlier, all other joys are just shallow and short-lived. They're not even joys at all, really. The epitome of joy, the beginning of joy, is to know that your sins are forgiven by God. And so we look back at the, at the moment when Jesus was born and we say, that's when my joy was born. Or we're like Simeon. You remember Simeon? He held the baby Jesus in his arms. And he says, now I can die in peace because my eyes have seen your salvation. Here he is. This is my salvation in this baby. And when we look at Christ today, we say, if it weren't for him, we'd have no joy all these lesser joys, my family, my friends, my hobbies, any life experiences that would bring me any sort of joy, none of that would bring me any joy because I'd have to experience them all with a guilty conscience. 
bent over, as it were, under a load of sin. Praise God for Hebrews 9 that says, the blood of Christ purifies our conscience from dead works to serve the living God. That's our joy. Guilt removed. Conscience cleansed. Changed from the inside to serve the living and true God. I wonder if you've noticed, uh, maybe you noticed as we just were singing, many of the Christmas hymns contain the theme of joy. Let me read just a few lines to you and remind you. I hope you'll indulge me for a second. Because again, this is the song of the redeemed. This is our song. You've all heard the song, O Holy Night, right? Listen to this group of lines just to remind you. A thrill of hope, a weary world rejoices. For yonder breaks a new and glorious morn. Fall on your knees, O hear the angel voices. I love that. Listen to what the angels are saying. The Savior's here. Joy for a weary world is here. The long night's over. Dawn has come. There's a new era here. The Savior has arrived. We sang this one today. Joy to the world. The Lord is come. He's here. Let the whole earth rejoice because of Him. That's what the songs say. Joy to the world. The Lord has come. Or we hear the, uh, the beautiful hymn that's set in that beautiful minor key. O come, O come, Emmanuel. The repeated chorus says, Rejoice, rejoice. Emmanuel shall come to you, O Israel. Beautiful. We sang this one today. Come to earth to taste our sadness. He whose glories knew no end. By his life, he brings us gladness our Redeemer, Shepherd, Friend. That's beautiful. Jesus left his glory in heaven to come taste our sadness. In fact, the way Hebrews puts it, he came to taste death for us. Hebrews 2.9, praise God for that. Or what about, perhaps not a strictly speaking Christmas song, but what about the song Glorious Christ that we sing? The second verse talks about the incarnation when it says this, you left the air of heaven to breathe the dust of earth and dwell among the outcasts and the poor. You came to be forsaken and died to take our curse. Why'd he do it? So you could be our joy forevermore. Forevermore, you are the glorious Christ. This is a constant theme in our hymnody and our songs that we sing. Joyful all ye nations rise, join the triumph of the skies. Let all the nations rise in joy before this one named Jesus because he brought us salvation. Or, O come all ye faithful, joyful and triumphant. God's people have triumphed through the blood of the Lamb 
And therefore, they are joyful in the most ultimate sense. I don't know if you've heard this one. Love divine, all loves excelling. You heard that hymn? The very first line says, love divine, all loves excelling. Joy of heaven to earth come down. Wow. Picture that. The the centerpiece of heaven, Jesus. The joy of heaven in a plot twist that no human being would have ever predicted. The joy of heaven came down into the sadness and brokenness of earth and brought eternal joy with him. He is that joy. He's our Savior. And so it's in It's all over the place in our songs. It's all over the place in the scriptures. The writers of scripture were talking about this way before any of the songs I just mentioned. Let's look at a few scriptures. I'll bring them up quickly for us. The psalmists were writing about joy many hundreds of years ago, and they were equating over and over again joy with salvation. Salvation brings joy. There's joy found in our salvation that God has given us. Listen to these things. Psalm 20, verse 5. May we shout for joy over your salvation. Or Psalm 51, 12. In that chapter where David is repenting of his sin, he asked the Lord, Restore unto me the what? The joy of your salvation. Psalm 132.16, speaking of uh, God's people Israel, her priests I will clothe with salvation and her saints will shout for joy. Psalm 50, or excuse me, Psalm 95.1, O come, let us sing to the Lord. Let us make a joyful noise to the rock of our salvation. It is proper to associate joy with salvation. In fact, The only way we can get ultimate joy is by God's salvation. God's salvation is the wellspring of joy. Let's not stop there. The prophets have been singing to the same tune. Isaiah says this of this coming day of salvation, Isaiah 12, 3. With joy you will draw water from the wells of salvation. Or the prophet Zechariah. He prophesies about this coming king of Israel. He says this in Zechariah 9, 9. Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout aloud, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you. Righteous and having salvation is he. Humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. Of course, It's exactly what Jesus did as he rode into Jerusalem years later. And Matthew picks up on that prophecy and says, here he is. This is what he was talking about in Zechariah. Matthew talks about it in chapter 21 of Matthew. Another prophet, the prophet Habakkuk, he frames this this salvation joy in such a way that it demonstrates to us that we could lose everything else. 
And as long as we have this one precious gift from God, his salvation, we can rightly be filled with joy. Listen to it. Habakkuk 3, 17 and 18. It's right at the end of that short book of Habakkuk. Though the fig tree should not blossom, nor fruit be on the vines, the produce of the olive fail and the fields yield no food, the flock be cut off from the fold and there be no herd in the stalls, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will take joy in the God of my salvation. The New Testament writers talk about this joy quite often as well. John records these words from Jesus himself. He's speaking to his disciples in John chapter 16. He says, so also you have sorrow now, but I will see you again and your hearts will rejoice and no one will take your joy from you. And if you look at what he's talking about there, he's talking about, he's pointing forward to his resurrection. And why would his resurrection give them joy? Because it proved that everything they were taught by him is true. He is who he said he was. We thought we were mistaken. He told us all this stuff, and then he died. Maybe we were wrong about him. And then he takes up his life again, and then they really believed. He is the Messiah. He is God's son. He is the one who conquered death to bring life to his people. That's why they would be joyful. And Jesus says, no one will take that joy from you. Peter talks about the Lord Jesus this way, another apostle. He's speaking to believers when he says, Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with a joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. 1 Peter 1, 8 and 9. It's almost like the entire Bible could be summarized around this concept of joy. Think back with me. God creates everything good. We might say he created a world filled with his joy. It's just an overflow of inter-Trinitarian joy and love. And then... The pinnacle of his creation, man, who was made in his image, was stripped of that God-given joy when he rebelled against God. And instead of crushing man, this kind and gracious God promises to give man joy again. And it would come through the seed of the woman, Genesis 3.15. And then fast forward some years, in the perfect timing of God, having come down from heaven, joy incarnate was laying there in Bethlehem, in the manger. And that baby grew up, and he grew up to take upon himself the very barrier to your joy, which was sin. And he takes God's wrath for us that was due to us He drinks it down to the last drop so that we might have joy once again. 
And then you know what? The joy actually doesn't even stop there because it's not just joy in this life, knowing that our guilt has been erased and our sins forgiven, but he tells us that eternal joy awaits us. So you could almost tell the, the entire redemption story around joy given, joy lost, and joy regained through Jesus Christ. By the way, I, I find this really Awesome to think about. Do you know how Jesus describes heaven? If we were going to ask somebody about heaven, it might be good to ask somebody who lives there, right? <laughs> Instead of reading these books that you see in quote-unquote Christian bookstores about a guy who went to heaven and came back to tell the story, I don't know about that, but I'll take what Jesus says about it. Um, do you remember how he refers to heaven in the parable of the talents in Matthew 25? He tells that good and faithful servant, he says, enter into the joy of your master. What? What is heaven like? Well, it's like living smack dab in the middle of the joy of God himself. What is that like? The psalmist hinted at it, although he didn't fully know what he said, perhaps. Psalm 1611, in your presence, there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. So not only is joy possible now for us, but joy, unlike any other joy, is still coming for us. We haven't even topped out on our joy yet. For God's people, this is the worst it's going to get. This is our worst life now. Our best life now comes later. And the reason we possess this joy is because Jesus brought it to us. I don't know how all this strikes you today. But if I can just remind God's people of what they have in Christ, I'll consider that a success today. And if I can also invite others who don't yet know Christ, who are still outside the family of God, who are still, even if they don't realize it, still stooped over under the weight of their sin burden and their guilty conscience, if I can reiterate to you, to those people, that Jesus is the source of the kind of joy you've been looking for, I want to do that, and I'll consider that a success today too. I just want to point you to him. Come and find true joy. Jesus has it. He'll give it to you. Let me just close today with this story that um, one of my favorite pastors, preachers told in one of his sermons, Charles Spurgeon. He told this story back in 1860 in one of his sermons. He says, I've heard of a man who was, in so, who was so constantly in debt and continually being arrested by the bailiffs that once upon a time when going by some area railings, having caught his sleeve upon one of the rails, 
he turned around and said, I don't owe you anything. He thought it was a bailiff. And Spurgeon says, and so it is with unforgiven sinners. Wherever they are, they think they're going to be arrested. They can enjoy nothing, even their mirth. What is it but the color of joy, the crackling of thorns under the pot? There is no solid, steady fire. And then he says, but once a man is forgiven, he can walk anywhere. He says, to me it is nothing whether I live or die, whether ocean depths engulf me or whether I am buried beneath an avalanche. With sin forgiven, I am secure. Death has no sting on that man. His conscience is at rest. He goes a step further. Knowing his sins to be forgiven, he has joy unspeakable. No man has such sparkling eyes as the true Christian. A man then knows his interest in Christ and can read his title clear. He is a happy man and must be happy, end quote. So why did Jesus come? What was this great joy that shepherds were talking about? He came to bring us joy by being our Savior, liberating us from sin's power, forgiving us of our sin, cleansing our consciences, removing our guilt by the blood of his cross. That's why he came. Amen. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, we, we echo the words of Augustine when he said, our hearts are restless until they find rest in you. And we would add, our hearts are joyless until they find joy in you. Lord, we may experience uh, various levels of joy that are just given to us through common grace, the sound of a beautiful piece of music, taste of good food, the embrace of someone we love, laughter with our friends, satisfaction that's over something we've created or worked on. But until we find the source of all joy, all these lesser joys just lose their luster. What good is it to experience all those things in the short term and then spend eternity in hell? We're reminded of that scripture that says, well, does it profit a man if he gains the whole world, loses his own soul? But Lord, when we come to your son, and we receive pardon for our sins. And our conscience is cleansed and our guilt is removed. It's as if the clouds break and the rays of the beautiful sun just burst through onto our face. And that light beams into every area of our life, bringing joy to it the joys of knowing Christ and being in a right relationship with our maker just flavors all the rest of life. And Lord, even when you 
see fit to let us feel the sting of death, whether it be a family member, as our brother Walt is going through, or a friend, or whether our own bodies begin to fail, or when people mistreat us, this joy remains fixed and firm that we are part of God's family, placed there by sovereign grace. You have done it all. And no one can take this joy from us, brought to us by the baby in the manger who grew up to be our Redeemer. Lord, would you bring others into this joy today? Would you restore joy unto us who seem to have lost the feeling of it? May your spirit, Lord, just make unbelievers hungry for this kind of joy. And Lord, may your people walk out of here renewed with joy in their hearts, alive to God, more aware of what Jesus has brought to them. And Lord, in light of what Jesus has done, it's no wonder that the apostle wrote under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say, rejoice. We thank you for this gift of joy brought down from heaven to us by the joy of heaven, Jesus Christ. We pray all this in his name.